People talk loud when they want to act smart, right? Correct! So if we play loud, people might think we're good. Everybody ready? And the one, and the two, and the one, two, three, four! Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Sterling. Hey, this is Cloud. We are the Film School Brats. This is a show where we talk about Tenet's weekly updated release dates. <laughs> yeah, exclusively. Yeah, so... I mean, this is totally unrelated to anything we'll talk about today, but yeah, Tenet <laughs> is pushed back again to September, I think now. Yeah, September. Or I get it was November and now it's September. I just think it's funny how all these other movies are planning accordingly. Just like whenever Tenet comes out, we'll follow. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of other movies are just like, I think Disney's just like, yeah, screw it, 2021. Yeah, well, Avatar, right? 2023? I don't know. Who knows? I, yeah. Holding my breath. Yeah. For the Avatar sequels. <laughs> so in any case, today we're going to be talking about First Cow. This is a film co-written and directed by Kelly Reichardt. But before we get into that, of course, I need to ask you, what have you been watching? Okay. So this is sort of embarrassing that this is the first time I watched this movie, but I recently watched Back to the Future for the first time ever. Yeah, I was thinking about doing a, you haven't seen that, because I haven't seen it either. We can watch the second one, though, because I really want to Sure, watch yeah, we can watch the second and third, and we can talk about the whole trilogy. The whole something. trilogy. Ooh, yeah. I love it. Okay, Great. stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, so I watched that. It's a classic for a reason. So knowing so much about the movie, because it's so prevalent in the culture, it was fun to catch the little details or very important things that were part of it that I just had no idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was fun to watch. How about you? What have you been seeing? Not much, but I've been watching the Jeffrey Epstein doc, and I have one more to go. I mean, it's only four episodes, but I have one more episode to go. It's grueling, man. It's disgusting, and Mm -hmm. it's fascinating. There's a lot of details that I didn't know about, Um, but it's a pretty tough watch. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely makes you angry. What I've heard about, because I've only watched the first episode, um, but what I've heard about people that watched the whole thing is that they wish there was more in a way. They wish, you know, that everyone else in his network had been a little bit more exposed or that I think it's just wishful thinking of let's fix the world and fix this whole problem. Which, yeah, I you know, think this documentary can't. Maybe, do. maybe perhaps, mayhaps legally they can't do some things or say Mm. certain things because none of like a lot of his connections or his like he obviously knows these people but there's no real proof yet that they Mm -hmm. were involved in any of this stuff Mm -hmm. so i think maybe if they like accused them of doing that they would run into problems that's a good point oh also sorry this reminded me that i watched the assistant okay and it was really good it's very small and contained just like the whole thing takes place in the span of one day and you never see the boss, which, you know, okay, very much implied to be Harvey Weinstein. But yeah, they do make a, a pass at Harvey Weinstein in the dock. I mean, he's kind of uh, what's the term? Yeah, he's he's fair use. <laughs> he's, yeah, fair game. That's what it is. Yeah, fair game. Yeah, fair game. Yeah, ah, yeah. Close enough. Close yeah. enough. OK. All right. The other thing that we've been watching 
And the whole topic of today's podcast is the first cow. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. Well, it's no place for white men either. I sense opportunity here. Co-written, directed by Kelly Reich. Reichhardt. Oh, 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 you have to say that because I can't say her last name. I say Reichhardt. Okay. I believe it's Reichhardt. Okay, I believe you too. Based on the novel The Half-Life by Jonathan Raymond and also co-written by himself and Kelly Reichhardt, the director, this is a very interesting movie and very telling of the times, I would say, just because it premiered Telluride, then it played New York, Berlin, was in theaters for a week, and then the world ended. Yeah. And in July, it came to VOD. Mm-hmm. That's how I watched it. I watched it on Amazon Prime, one of their first look movies that they offer. But yeah, so I think this conversation is going to be a mixture of the actual movie and also, unfortunately, the circumstances surrounding it and why maybe they, you know, help it or do it a disservice in some other ways. So this is a simple film. Very straightforward. It's about two men, a chef named Cookie. He goes by Cookie. I think his name is Otis. And he meets a Chinese man, King Lu, who's kind of a runaway fugitive type person. And they essentially become business partners, stealing milk from a cow and making food with it. Yeah, and it's set in 19th century, I think it's 1820s. Oh, yeah, Oregon. Big, big detail I left out there. Big detail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, I went into this movie totally blind. Like, I had no idea what it was about. I didn't want to know. Um, And it starts sort of present day, correct? It is present day, yeah. Yeah. It starts present day, and then around five minutes in, it goes to the past, But in a very, very seamless way, we never get, I don't think, a title card or anything that says that we're in 1820s. Um, So for me, it took me a second to be like, oh, are these people just camping for fun? (laughs) (laughs) Or, and very quickly realized that they were not camping for fun and the stakes were way higher. Okay. Yeah, I was actually thrown off by the beginning because I had seen the trailer and I was, mm-hmm. I had wanted to watch this movie for a few months now. And it was, I was like, wait, the person's wearing like a very modern coat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, wait, this is, this is present day. Yeah. Or just the, the, oh, the boat and everything. The ship. The ship. Yeah. yeah. Another important detail of this movie distributed by A24, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think nowadays it's considered sort of the mecca for film for indie yeah it's <laughs> like the best art house distribution company there is produced by a24 and shot in four by three yeah so that already picks a lot of boxes for a very certain gives you a <laughs> sense of what the style might be <laughs> so what are your general thoughts i would say overall i would only recommend this movie to people that are into film so you know, my friends from film school or my one uncle (laughs) that really (laughs) likes film. And what I mean by that is that it's not a very 
accessible film. And God, I hate the word accessible because it is accessible. You can't just watch it. There's no test, but it is a tough watch because it's very, the pace is very slow and it's a very contained movie where everything is very subtle. It's all about these characters. It's not almost at all plot driven. It's all about the characters and their friendship and in, in a way, very subtle commentary on loneliness, on capitalism, on the beginnings of American life. But again, keyword here being subtle. So if you're someone that does not want to spend two hours looking at something that's, I don't know, sort of poetic and artsy, then this would not be the movie for you. Yeah, I feel... Similarly, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but I don't have too much to say about this film. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it's, I think, a film that you just is better off watched than mm-hmm. overly described. For sure. Because while not plot driven, I think if you were to explain someone what this movie is, you would kind of just talk about the plot. Yeah. And it's hard to talk about its themes and deeper meanings without having seen it. Because otherwise you don't have much of a reference to go off of. Absolutely. Because I think if you were to summarize the plot, it's just these two men steal some milk and then bake some, you know, oily cakes and other baked goods, sell them and then die. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) So, look, maybe there was something lost in translation for me watching it at home and not sitting in a theater and Mm -hmm. admittedly devoting 110% of my attention to. This is a slow two-hour burn. Mm -hmm. And the cow itself honestly doesn't have too much impact on all the characters, which in the trailer made it seem like, oh my god, like this is, like, we're bringing in a cow, this is going to change in the whole change and it kind of does but it kind of doesn't um it does in the sense that it affects (laughs) the the trajectory of our two protagonists Mm -hmm. but it doesn't like it kind of is just like another thing that happens in the movie and they don't quite address it yeah no i think you make some very interesting points there and just to jump off of two little things that you said I think that not watching it in theaters really made it a disservice just for me personally. Yeah. Because I'm slowly realizing that whenever I watch something at home, there is, you know, a warped need for me to be more entertained. And I need something that's faster and that can, you know, hold my attention like easier. Yeah. But I know I hate saying that because it makes me sound like a what people are describing like TikTokers to be like just like only six seconds and that's it. I know TikTok's longer, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get my point where it's just like I, I hate saying that as a complaint and, and I'm not complaining for it. I'm just recognizing that I enjoy those sort of films in theaters so much more. Yeah. Maybe because I'm in a different headspace, maybe because my attention like I feel more consumed by the movie because I'm surrounded by it and I'm in a in a physical space where that's all that exists Mm -hmm. but anyway I just wanted to flag that for me very different experience and I 
I do recognize that in myself that it just it's it's harder for me to to enjoy something like this. But then also, I didn't I didn't watch the trailer personally. I I mean, sometimes <laughs> I go a couple months without watching any trailers because I'm like I can't. I want to go enjoy it <laughs> and be surprised. And then I'm like I need to watch every trailer ever. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm currently one of those no trailer periods. But I will say that films set in this time period, shot in this way, for me, carry this connotation that something darker is going to happen. And I kept comparing it to The Nightingale, which if you've seen it, it's all dark. (laughs) It's all darkness and it's a pit of like no hope and despair. Anyway, very different. So I, I was carrying these expectations with me as I was watching it. And so I kept waiting for the moment where something either gruesome would happen or something just like terrible. And like I said, it's very quiet, very subtle. So, you know, I, it, it's hard to tell is that because I was expecting something different or is that the film? Was I underwhelmed, let's call it, because I had these expectations in my head or was it because this movie on its own just didn't live up to what I was imagining? I don't know if I'm describing that correctly, but both whatever. make sense. I mean, both scenarios make total sense. But I, I think I also went into this movie thinking it's the Oscar contender mm-hmm. because it was making uh, rounds in the trades as being the first movie to be sent out to the Academy. Mm-hmm. This is not really an Academy movie at all. No, not really. Because it doesn't both female director. <laughs> Sure, but it doesn't boast performances. It doesn't, you know, like an Oscar movie has like the performances. It has the screenplay. It has the whole shebang. And this Mm -hmm. is a quiet indie movie. Yeah. Well, but that, you know, is the other side of that argument. Like, okay, it's being released digitally. The world is ending. On the one hand, for me, it sucked to not see in a movie theater because I think it sort of ruined the experience for me. On the other hand... Could this actually help it, you know, stand out on the Oscars? Because not that many other movies are being released. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, no, you're totally right that the whole landscape has shifted. Like, we're focusing on different things. I think a lot of movies that might have been contenders are just not even being released altogether this year. Exactly. So you get a movie like this, which is the little engine that could and, and <laughs> is now getting a lot of attention from more important people, shall we say. So you're right. Yeah. Or even just like the traits, you know, a lot of more people maybe are reviewing this film yeah. that they would in a more clutter space where more things were, were out. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see how the timing of things is, you know, going to change everything. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And not that the Oscars are, you know, the one true... <laughs> no, yeah, of course not. Fiction. And, like, sometimes it's annoying to me that it has to be, like, a competition, but... Yeah. But, you know, it could it could mean that Kelly, like, Reichardt... Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Reichardt, <laughs> okay. Reichardt. Reichardt. That Kelly R. <laughs> is... <laughs> Well, you know, with with awards comes, you know, other benefits like 
maybe she'll get more funding for her movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I feel like whether we like it or not, and there has been a lot of progress, but female directors just do not get the same amount of, first of all, trust, <laughs> second of all, money, and third of all, opportunities. I made that list up in my head, but I stand by that order. <laughs> sure. And I think trust and opportunities are an interesting point to make too, because we think like, oh, women can't write men char- male characters or women don't know the male experience. I think they do. I think, they do. <laughs> I think, I think women understand men a lot more than men understand women in terms of writing them and showing an experience. Yeah. Because this is, I mean, this is a male story. It's a male dominated story. Well, there, there's the, the wife of the chief factor, right? And the other Native American woman. I think those are the only two women, unless I'm... But I mean, like, they don't... Oh, it's very short. Very short. Yeah. But what I do love about that... Sorry, just a little asterisk here. What I do love about the wife character is that she's a translator. And in a way, very subtle way. Because that... That whole scene is very much about power dynamics because you have a chief factor and then his, I guess, boss, I forget the ranks, his boss that he's trying to impress with um, the pastry. And then you have the Chinese man who is sort of there as an entrepreneur, but also very much lower in the, in the hierarchy. You have the baker who in this scenario, like, you know, in this town has leveled up, let's say. And then you have the women, you have the Native American who's there like as a servant and then the other one who's there as a guest, the guest's wife and then the chief's wife. I mean, that was such an awful way of explaining them, but yeah, yeah, yeah. long way to say that there's a lot going on in terms of races, in terms of hierarchy. Social dynamics. And social dynamics. So I, I really like the fact that it was the woman who was the one that was translating, you know, she was speaking to the Native Americans and she was speaking to the chief factor. Nothing, you know, I don't have a deeper. <laughs> well, no, I guess if you're a translator, in some sense, you hold the power because you could be saying anything. Yeah. And you're the one, I don't know, bringing these two cultures together. Yeah. And that I think yeah. there's always something to be said about that, but. I think that's what I appreciated most about the movie overall is this intimate, small, contained look at early American life, mm-hmm. early capitalism, early colonialism, the ideas of what it meant to be an entrepreneur in this time, mm-hmm. what the American dream was, or I don't know if that was like a concept back then, but you know, this general idea that you would immigrate to the U.S., these people were expanding west to find gold and to like make something of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's cool that you see a Chinese man as like kind of the the one who calls the shots and who is such a prominent figure in a story like this. Yeah. Well, I think for me the the biggest message or what resonated with me the most was that this whole movie was based very much around their friendship. And I think a lot of times when we see stories about either people, entrepreneurs or sort of the beginnings of America, it's always a very isolated experience or it's, you know, painted out to be a very isolated experience. And even nowadays, it's just like, if you want to like achieve this, you need to work hard and you need to do this. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about 
wait, let's take a look. Cause it's never just the one person. Like you do need that community around you, whether it's a system that works in your favor for the people that do make it quote unquote on their own or in general, just, I think if you look deep into any person who's ever been successful, it's like, it was not only them, but either their friends, their family, their coworkers, or whoever else that was around them. And I think this film is a very clear example of that friendship. And it's both of them, they need each other to be successful and to sort of move beyond just... The idea of like working hard. and Yeah, the idea of working hard and like, you know, differentiating themselves from the rest of that town, which seems to be sort of a dead end, sort of full of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they're the ones seizing the opportunity. And I think a big part of that is because they are working together. Yeah. And I think generally, maybe that's where the some of the criticism of either capitalism or just general economics that this movie proposes. See, it doesn't like totally go into it, but I think it touches on it. Is this idea that people feed off of each other. These two men are finding success, but they are stealing from their own client. Yeah. So that's an interesting dynamic, uh, like a parasitic relationship between the buyer and the seller. So I, I guess it, it touches on those issues, but I'm not sure if it totally dives into it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is critiquing in a way, but, but not in a very flashy movie sort of way where it's just like, we're going to show you everything and it's going to be so big <laughs> that there's no way you, you'll miss it. You can miss it. <laughs> like, I kind of wish it went a little bit deeper into exploring it, not, not necessarily making a stance of whether or not they think it's good or bad, but just exploring that idea a little more. But I do appreciate how held back it is. Oh, absolutely. And I will say this. I think it's a movie that needs to be talked about. And what I mean by this is that I think when I watched it by myself at home, all these ideas and all these themes, because they were so, you know, quiet and restrained, I think I, I wasn't really, I don't know, engaging with them as much as I am now. Just even talking to you about this, it's making me rethink <laughs> the movie a little bit and honestly appreciate it even more. And I think sometimes I'm always sort of ashamed when I watch something that I know is very much critically acclaimed and I personally am watching it and I cannot, like, I don't feel it in a way where I'm just like, oh, maybe I'm just stupid and don't appreciate art. But then talking about it really helps me just personally come, come to terms with that, what the movie meant for me and what things worked and what things were sort of like subconsciously ingrained in me that I just didn't realize at the time. Yeah. Oh, very quickly. Another thing that I thought was very sort of interesting and captivating about their friendship, um, you know, King Lou and Cookie's friendship, is that it was so tender in a way. And just the way they treated each other and the way they partnered together, it felt very intimate and it felt very real. Mm -hmm. And especially compared to all the aggression that was happening around them. It sort of, in a way, seemed like a commentary on like toxic masculinity in a way, because everyone else was so hyper aggressive. Even even with little things like um, when they're selling the oily cakes and that man just cuts that kid in line, 
just like I'm the man I'm gonna cut you off. yeah <laughs> I'm gonna cut you off and get the last oily cake or you know more explicitly in the bar fight yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're they're the only two men that stand stay behind with the baby <laughs> yeah and I think it it honestly feels like they were more you know it's another layer of them being more quote-unquote like advanced as everyone else you know like they're the ones with the business they're the ones that do not feel compelled to just like go on and fight everyone else at the at the bar yeah so in a way in a way it felt like a commentary like now this is very sort of primitive but they're a little beyond that i don't know i enjoyed it yeah nice guys finish first yeah or they die (laughs) but their skeletons remain (laughs) together forever um and i don't know if we met if we touched on this but very quickly um i i really liked how the film ends in a way that is not spelled out you know we it is a callback to the skeletons that we find at the beginning of the movie you know the position we recognize that same placement of the bodies at the end but i i I liked how it's not you know we don't hear a gunshot we don't hear anything it's just it ends and you know it's one of those times where a movie trusts the the viewer to just connect the dots and be like okay they died, even if we don't know exactly how they died. We understand. Presumably by gunshot, because there's there are a couple shots of that that person chasing them with the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like, is it really that big of a deal? <laughs> they're, like they're running away and they don't have a home to go, so they might as well just you might as well just let them go. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that it makes you appreciate all the little things. Like, damn, yeah. just getting milk. Yeah. But anyway, just as the last question I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite scene or the one that resonated with you the most or the one that you liked? Well, I always feel like it's a cop out when I answer these things because I did this with Tiger Tail. But I like the last shot because I think halfway through the movie, you get a sense that these two guys are the skeletons and they're going to die somehow. But it's nice because Cookie is definitely dying already. So when he lies down, you you get the sense that King Lou knows that he's going to die too. And King Lou holds the money and clutches it. And he says, like, we'll be safe here. And I guess safe together. So was, that was nice. That was a nice moment. Um, but another scene I guess I just enjoyed was at some point in the movie, there were a bunch of people that had to be woken up and they start chasing Cookie. They they were like yes, yes, sleeping yes, yes, on yes, bunk yes, yes. beds and then they had to like wake yeah, up. Yeah, well, when they, room. it's in the chief factor's house when they steal milk for the last time. That's when they get caught because King Lou falls off the branch. Yeah, 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 that one. Cookie was milking and then the, the Native American servant, let's say, he was out with the cat and then yeah. sees everything happen and wakes people up. Yes. Yeah, and they had, they like go out in their long johns and everything. It just it felt. I, I like that style of comedy. It, it almost felt very yeah. Wes Anderson-y, kind of goofy, yeah. <laughs> kind of silly. So I enjoyed that. It was fun. What about you? I think we didn't... Well, oh, sorry. just before I tell you my answer, yeah. I think we didn't really touch on how... It's actually a pretty funny movie. Like, very low-key. But it has... It's has stylistically funny. funny. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, there are jokes in, in the script. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's stylistically funny. I think there are a couple of interesting shots that are a little kind of kind of silly in in a good way. Yeah. 
Well, my favorite scene was the first milking of the cow, Evie. <laughs> Little shout out to Evie. Um, and I just really like the way Cookie is just talking, talking to the cow and saying like, oh, I heard about your husband. <laughs> He's like, I heard about your husband, your baby. They didn't make it. Yeah. It's just like so tender and so nice. And it's one of those, those moments where I, well, of course it's the title of the movie. So, you know, very much granted that they're going to spend some time with the, with the milking. But I don't know, there was something that really pulled me into the film at that moment. I was just very interested. I was like clinging on to every word he was saying. And it was just very, felt very reassuring. <laughs> and it's a movie that does take its time. You know, like it will show you all that milking. It will show you the oily cakes baking. Like it, it will, it does not shy away from long shots and like really quiet stretches of time. But I don't know, there was something really beautiful to me about that scene, just visually, but thematically and and I don't know, it felt, made me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good scene. And I think maybe that's because also that's when it kind of first comes together. Like, mm -hmm. uh, this is the cow. This is the yeah. first cow. And this is how they relate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because when you first see the cow, it's not really a big deal at all. It just It's kind of floating in on a barge. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. people welcome it. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> I guess that's it unless you have anything else any last thoughts you want to add i think it's a fascinating watch and maybe at some point i'll try to rewatch it with all of this in mind and maybe that'll make the experience a little bit better yes yeah watch it if you are like us and just want to keep up with what people are watching and what the industry is telling you to watch <laughs> yeah but also if you want a sort of a change of pace if all you've been consuming is very much, you know, mainstream media. Sure. If you want to go fast-paced superhero to slow indie burn, this is a good, yes. this is a good this option. This is a good one. <laughs> Honestly, this made me appreciate the movie way more. So I'm really thankful <laughs> to have had this conversation. Yeah. It's one of those movies where it's like, like I have to be in the mood to watch it. Oh, yeah. Right headspace and right circumstances. All right. Well, we will catch you next week. Thanks again for wa watching, for listening. Ooh. Unless you're staring at your phone and just watching the thumbnail the whole time. Yeah, which you should. You should do and could do. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you all next week. Bye. Oh, cheer up, Squid. It could be worse. Yeah, you could be bald and have a big nose. Well, this is the end. Bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a cow. Don't say now, bitch. I'm a cow, bitch. I'm a cow, bitch. I'm a cow, bitch. I'm a cow. Go move.